139 days. 139 days. We met together on March the 15th, and we worshiped that morning. We went ahead, and we had life classes. We postponed that evening. Then March 16th, they told us no more than 10 people are to be gathered at any given time. So for the next nine weeks, everything was online. Today is our 11th Sunday back. So it's been 139 days since March the 16th when things really, at least for us as a church family, started to get kind of crazy and the, the challenge of the reality of navigating this pandemic got very, very real. 139 days. Now, as we think about a trial of 139 days, we realize that this is far different than the trial that Joseph would have to face, that from age 17 to age 30, he found himself as a slave or a convict. So we're looking, since August the 2nd of 2007, has been 4,700 plus days. 13 years is a long time. When we think about 139 days of a challenge or a trial, most of us are completely tired of this. We're ready to rip these masks off. The kids are ready to go back to school. We're ready to get life back to somewhat some semblance of normality. And yet, we look at Joseph's life and realize that sometimes God allows us to face trials and challenges that may go for a long period of time. Think about your life between age 17 and 30, for those of you who are over 30. Most of the time in that period between age 17 and 30, and many of you are in that category, most of the time you are making big decisions. You're graduating from high school. You're deciding, am I going to go to college? Am I going to go to the workforce? Am I going to go into the military? Those are big decisions. A lot of times then you graduate from college, if you go that route, you start a full-time job somewhere in that period between age 17 and 30. A lot of times you meet the person that you marry between that time frame of 17 and 30. A lot of times you begin your family in that period, sometime hopefully more toward 30 than 17. But uh, anyway, between 17 and 30, that's a lot of our, our major formative life-changing years. And yet Joseph finds himself from age 17 to age 30 a slave or a convict. When, when you think about how long 13 years is, and I look back and look at the changes that have just happened in our family in the last 13 years. Well, take a look at our family 13 years ago. That picture's from 2007. Life changes. Many of you, your life has changed drastically over the last 13 years. And I want to tell you that when it comes time for God to move, he moves. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis 41. Now, I, I want to, to drive something home with you today. That when we don't see God moving, God is still moving. 
so that at the moment when God moves, we can look back and see how he has orchestrated everything that has taken place around us. So I don't know where you are today, but it may seem like life may be a little bit stale or you may be a little bit stuck. Can I tell you, God is at work. Genesis chapter 41. We're going to actually just read just a few verses. We're going to pick up in verse number one, then we'll slide down to verse number 14. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he stood by the river. Now slide down with me to verse number 14. It says, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved and changed his clothing and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And with that, let's pray. God, thank you for your word, and Lord, drive the truth of it home, that we would be people who trust in your name. Amen. If we would look at Joseph's life these first 30 years, we would say, kind of like Annie did, it's a hard-knock life. He grew up favored by his father, but his brothers couldn't even speak peaceably to him. And with the first opportunity they had, they were going to kill him, but then decided to sell him as a slave to some Ishmaelite traders who were going down to Egypt. He ends up in Egypt being sold to Potiphar. There, Potiphar's wife comes on to him and then lies about him, and he ends up in prison. We do not know how long he was at Potiphar's house or how long he was in prison, but we know that around this 13-year mark, from age 17 to age 30, he is either a slave or a convict. Life has been very challenging. But yet, at Potiphar's house, as he began to serve, he he became a, a leader of the servants. And the master, Potiphar, didn't have to worry about anything except the bread that was going to be served to him. And then he goes into prison, and what does he do? He begins to serve, and the, the master of the prison decides he can just let, every, let everything be under the control and leadership of Joseph. You remember, the butler and the baker are both thrown into prison. The butler has a dream. The butler has a dream. The baker has a dream. And Joseph interprets their dreams. He reminds the butler that in three days he is going to be restored. The baker that in three days he will be hanged. But he tells the butler, when you get out, remember me. And the last verse of chapter 40 is one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. Because he forgot Joseph. Two years have now passed by. Verse 41, two years. You could have think in, in your mind, Joseph, as, he's, as he sees the butler get restored to his job in three days, hey, pretty soon, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to go free. Pretty soon. Maybe he begins to mark one, two, three, four, slash, five days, ten days, a month, six months, a year. Have you ever been in that waiting mode where life was not only a time of waiting, but it was really hard? David in Psalm 13 cries out, How long, O Lord, 
will you forget me forever? I think Joseph could have probably written that psalm himself. How long, O Lord? Why does it seem like you are forgetting me? What's going on? Lord, my, my adult life is beginning with disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. Two years have gone by. Joseph has lived a life of disappointed hopes and dreams. But then in Genesis 41, it tells us that Pharaoh has a dream and the light bulb clicks on in the butler's life. Life is now going to begin to move in a different direction altogether. God is going to show that for these last 13, yea, for the last 30 years, he has been preparing Joseph for this moment. And when this moment comes, Joseph is ready to step up. Notice with me in Genesis chapter 41, it says after two years that Pharaoh had a dream. The butler then says, oh yeah, oh yeah. When we think about our life, when we think about what's going on in Joseph's life, we have to trust God. We have to trust God that he is going to move in his time. As believers, we have to come to this place. Again, verse number uh, 23 of, of Genesis 40, the chief butler did not remember Joseph but forgot him. And then 41, at the end of two full years. Trust God to move you in his time. That's the lesson that Joseph teaches us, that we have to trust. The baker had forgotten in Genesis 39, 23. The forgetful baker, oh, yeah, Joseph, don't, don't, don't worry about it, man. I, thanks for the, the dream interpretation. I'm not going to forget you. So there's the forgetful butler who forgets all about it. But yet, think about this. If the butler would have said, oh, yeah, I'm going to get Joseph out of prison in the next day or the next two days, how would life have shaped up? Where would Joseph have been? Would he have gone back to his family? Would he have been in the place where when the Pharaoh had a dream, the Pharaoh came to him? So we not only see the the forgetful butler, we see the dreaming Pharaoh. The Pharaoh has a dream. Now, the National Sleep Foundation tells us that we have about four to six dreams per night, the average person. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't remember most of my dreams. I did wake up the other day and my heart was just completely racing, but I couldn't remember what I dreamed. I guess I was running from somebody. But the, the picture is, is that we have dreams. And the Pharaoh knew that, this, that these two dreams that he had were something different. He has a dream. He's standing by the river and up out of the river come seven cows and they are plump and they are healthy and they start to graze on this awesome and wonderful grass and he looks at them and then out of the same river come seven skinny, ugly, gaunt cows and they come up and they eat the seven healthy cows but they still are skinny and gaunt and ugly. Then he has another dream. After waking up from that one, he lays back down and says, oh, man, you know, too much pizza tonight, you know. He rolls back over. He has another dream, and there is a stalk, and it has seven healthy, plump uh, grain uh, heads of grain on it. And then there's another weak, little sickly uh, stalk that has seven unhealthy, uh, brownish, terrible-looking uh, heads of grain. And the, the skinny, ugly heads of grain devour the healthy grain. And he's troubled. 
Could you imagine sipping his coffee in the morning telling his wife, man, I had this crazy dream last night, two of them. There were seven cows and seven other cows and the skinny cows ate the fat cows. Man, I'm troubled over this. She's like, big deal. It's a dream about cows. He says, man, I had this dream about these, this, this, this stalk and it had seven heads of grain and they were, they were great. He, he can't get peace on this. He finds no relief on this. And so he begins to call out his wise men and his interpreters and, and say, hey, I mean, guys, what's going on here? And he starts to get, get, get to this point where he's frustrated and he's, he's impatient and he's saying, look, someone's got to tell me these dreams. And then boom, the butler, the forgetful butler becomes the remembering butler and says, oh yeah, there's this guy that had two years ago when I was in prison, Man, I can't believe I forgot him. I told him I wasn't going to forget him, and now I forgot him. And now, two years ago, he told me his dream. And Pharaoh says, send for him. They send for Joseph. And there we see the ready Joseph. Joseph is ready. I mean, Pharaoh comes in, and they they bring him in, and they give him a shave, and they change his clothes so that he'll look good, probably gets a bath and showered. But think about this. Joseph, for the last 13 years, had the opportunity to be growing bitter and angry. He could have just crossed his arms and said, look, if the Pharaoh wants a dream interpreted, you tell him to come on down here himself. This is, man, I've been treated cruelly. This, this has been unfair. This hasn't been right. And if Pharaoh wants his stinking dream told, then he can come down here and he can come into the prison where I've lived for the last years and he can ask me himself. No, 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 no. We don't see any kind of attitude in Joseph. That's the amazing thing about him, that through all the mental and emotional and even the physical challenges that he faced in his life, that God had so moved in him that he was ready. So... Pharaoh brings him in. He's cleaned up. And he says, hey, the butler's told me that you can interpret dreams. And he says, nah. He told you almost right, but not exactly right. The interpretation of a dream is from God. Please tell me your dream. Trust God to move you in his time. Thirteen years of hardship and difficulty, and yet God's rubbing off rough edges. God's working, sanding that rough part of his life, cutting away areas of his life, sanctifying and working in his life for this moment. So listen, he's not ready for Pharaoh. He's ready for God to move in his life. This is much bigger than Pharaoh. He's about to save the nation of Israel. He's about to do something that impacts you and I today. And God was making sure that he was the usable vessel that he needed to be so that God could use him. Can I tell you today? Waiting is not wasting Sometimes God calls us to wait so that we'll seek and that he'll work and that he can do something fresh in us and work in us in a way 
over time that it's just not going to happen instantaneously. I mean, we've jumped through 30 years of Joseph's life in a matter of about three weeks. And most of the time when we face a challenge, it's like, God, three weeks. I mean, that's long enough. Lord, 139 days. God, we're tired of this. We don't want to wear masks. We don't want to have fear. We want our kids to go to school. We want life to be normal. We don't want any more cancellations. And yet, 4,700 plus days. And when God didn't seem like he was moving in Joseph's life, he was moving not only in Joseph, but around Joseph so that he could do something only he could do. Trust God to move you in his time. Not only do we have to trust God to move us in his time, but as we, we look down in, in verse number 14, as, as Pharaoh calls and, and sends and calls for him, we have to trust God to move us to, to his place. Trust God to move you to his place. What does Joseph do? He, he comes before the Pharaoh and, and he, he tells him, look, I, I, God is the one who interprets dreams and this is what's going to happen. There's going to be seven years of of plenty, seven years where life is grand, and there's going to be an abundance of crops, and it's going to be awesome time. And then there's going to be seven years of famine that are so bad that you guys are going to completely forget about the seven good years if you're not careful. Seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. Seven fat cows abundance. Seven skinny cows eating them. Seven heads of, uh, heads of grain, healthy, then seven sickly pieces of grain devouring them. He tells him his dream. He is ready. Then he gives him some great advice along the way. Notice with me in verse number, uh, verse number 40. What do we see happen? Well, let's pick up in verse 33 first. It says, now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise men and set him over the land of Egypt. So now he says, look, and you're going to have you're going to have seven years of plenty, seven years of, of famine. So let me tell you what to do. You need to pick a very wise man who is going to be discerning and let him be the manager. And then over these different areas, you need to put overseers. And as you put those overseers, that's what he begins to talk about in verse 34. Pharaoh, do this. Let him appoint officers of the land to collect one fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years and let them gather the food over all those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then the food shall be as a reserve. So he says, this is what you need to do. Seven plentiful years, what you need to do is take 20% of the food every year and store it up, store it up, store it up, store it up. It's kind of like a 20% tax that is going to be put on all the grain and it's going to be stored up. And, and then he, he says, and then you're going to have reserves during this time. And Pharaoh says, all right, now where am I going to find a guy who is able to lead and discern all of these kinds of things? And then he looks to Joseph in verse number 40 and says, you shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. There we see Joseph's promotion. 
Joseph, you are going to be second in command in all of the kingdom. Only according to me, I'm going to be the only person that you have to answer to. Now, notice with me in verse 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. In verse 42, he takes his signet ring off of his hand. He gives it and puts it on Joseph's hand. And he clothes him in garments. Remember, Joseph had his, his coat taken away. Now, Pharaoh dresses him back up, garments of fine linen, and puts a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride second in chariot. And then notice, and they cried out before him, bow the knee. Joseph's promotion is going to be one of such that it is God in his perfect timing has now brought Joseph to the place where it's, look, you've been promoted. Now you are going to be second in command in all of Egypt. We're going to give you some new clothes. We're going to give you a gold chain. We're going to give you a signet ring. And you are going to ride in the second chariot. To my, this is going to be a tricked out ride, man. This is going to be sweet. Let me tell you, Joseph, you have just moved on up. But listen. This is not just Joseph's promotion. This is a picture of God's providence. That God has orchestrated all of these things going on throughout Joseph's life to bring him to this moment. Let's look back in Joseph's life. We would say that his father favoring him was not a good thing. His brothers hating him was not a good thing. His brothers going to kill him and then betray him was not a good thing. Potiphar's wife lying about him, not a good thing. Being in jail for a bunch of years, not a good thing. Being forgotten while you're in jail, not a good thing. But God takes all of these bad things that have happened in Joseph's life and he works them out for his good. That's why the key verse that you need to understand, I believe probably in all of the Old Testament, but at least in the life of Joseph is Genesis 50, 20. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. This is the Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, that God is at work. And so if God's plan is best and God's timing is best for Joseph's life, then I've got to be willing to trust him with mine. Even when I don't see his hand acting, even when it looks like life is, is, is cumbersome and weary and dragging and, and dripping and, and terrible and all is bad around me, we find God is in control. So can I tell you today, Corona is not in control and Washington is not in control. And the United Nations is not in control. And though we do not understand everything that God is and doing uh, in our world today, we do know that we have a providential sovereign God that sits on the throne and he is in control. He has it all in his hand. He has it all in his time and we can rest assured in him. That's the picture. That's the picture. For us, this is the application that drives home to us. If God was at work in Joseph's life and he went through some hardship to bring him to the place where God wanted to bring him, then God may just use same kind of hardships in your life. They may look a little bit different. I don't plan on going down to the jail and visiting you, okay? I, I, don't, I don't plan on that. But God can put you through trials that ultimately bring you to a place where God in his providential care and with his providential hand, has a time and a place 
for you. That's the picture. So as you look back at your life, there's some, there's some tough things. You've gone through some hard things. You maybe have felt rejected. Joseph felt that. You maybe have been wrongly accused. Joseph experienced that. You may feel like you're forgotten, unloved, unknown. Joseph could have felt like that. But we have to rest assured in the God who knows us and the God who loves us and the God who sits on the throne. We rest in him. Trust God. He'll move you in his time and he'll move you to his place. These are hard things. The the truth about Joseph is we already know the end of the story. But Joseph didn't. 18 months after being forgotten by the butler, he didn't know what life was going to look like. 20 months, 22, 23 months, he didn't know. But there was one day that changed everything. And God may have a breakout day on your calendar where you can realize God prepared me for this. I've had moments where I thought all of the difficulty and challenges of life, this moment, at this time, with this person, in this meeting, God's just divinely and sovereignly worked this out. What if his father hadn't sent him? What if his brothers didn't reject him? What if Potiphar's wife didn't lie about him? What if the jail never had seen him? That's what God used. Trust God. Trust God. When you don't see his hand at work, trust him. When, when, when you can't trace what's going on in his life, trust him. He knows you. He loves you. Trust him. But we not only trust God to move in his time and move you to his place. Listen, this is really key. This is essential. We have to trust God to move us from our past. Trust God to move you from your past. Joseph is now second in command in all of Egypt and life is very different for him now. Notice with me down in in verse number 44. Pharaoh says, I'm Pharaoh, without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphna-Paneah and he gave him a wife, Asenath, and the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land, and Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. So Joseph goes out, he does his work, he does what he's supposed to do, but notice down in verse number 50. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful 
in the land of my affliction. As we think about Joseph's life, he's given a wife. Her name is Asenath. And I just wonder, this is an arranged marriage and, you know, not how we would do it. Probably not as a parent who we would pick for our, uh, our daughter-in-law, the uh, wife of a pagan heathen priest. But I just have to believe that as Joseph sat down with her and began to share his story about the one true almighty God. I just have to believe her eyes were opened. I, I believe we'll see her in heaven. I, that's just my personal belief. But they have a baby and his name is Manasseh. And the name Manasseh gives a picture of forgetting. God made me forget. Now, listen, God didn't make him forget his family. We're, we're going to find his family comes back into play next, next, next week. God didn't make him forget his family. But the sting and the pain and the hardship and the ugliness of that deep-rooted sting he felt in his heart, God allowed him to forget. Something about, I just picture, as Joseph is there with Asenath, as she brings this baby into the world. I don't know about you, but I just think a delivery room is one of the most sacred places in the whole world. I mean... It's amazing. I mean, I wept when Luke was born, when Joel was born, when Micah was born. And listen, I wept when Josh was born. I'd seen it three other times and been there. But it was still just that moment. It is a sacred and special moment. And as Joseph and Aseneth look down into the dark eyes of this little newborn baby, he says... I'm going to call him Manasseh. God has allowed me to forget all the pain and the bitterness and the hurt that my family has caused me. I'm able to forget. It was as if God's grace just swept over his life and all the hardship that was entangled around him just fell off as he looked into the eyes of a little baby. He got a fresh new start. I can forget all that stuff that has been done to me, all the hurt that has been caused upon me, all the years that were so hard. And as I look at this baby, I think, God, thank you for your grace. You have allowed me to forget. Some of you have some Reubens and Simeons and Judas in your life. Some of you have some Dans and Gads and Naphtali's in your life. And you're still holding on to them. What they did is unforgivable and unforgettable. Some of you are holding on to bitterness and grudges that have happened to you. And because of that, you're weighed down. You feel that chain in your own heart. And at this moment, I think really for the first time in a very spiritual moment, I don't think that Joseph was was bitter, bitter as he went to meet with Pharaoh, as he worked in the prison, did, did all those things. But I think at this time, it was just like, man, I'm letting it all go. 
Does some of you need to let something go today? A family member hurts you? God, would you help me Manasseh that? God, would you help me Manasseh that? that that's the, the, let, 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 we can use Manasseh as a, 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 in the active sense. God, would you help me Manasseh that? Forget that. God, would you let me let go of that? God, I'm choosing to Manasseh. Listen, you're not going to forget. You're not going to forget the hurt. You're not going to forget maybe the feeling. But what you're going to do is say, Lord, that sting doesn't have to be there anymore. I can look forward and recognize your grace. What do you need to let go of today? Then he has another son whose name is Ephraim. God not only made him forget, but God made him fruitful. I just love this. I think this is such a a wonderful picture, an object lesson for us as believers. As Joseph has this moment when so much has been against him, so much hurt has been inflicted upon him, that he's able to say, look, man, I look in the eyes of this little baby and I remember and am poured over by God's grace. I can let go. What good things do you need to look at in your life so you can let go? But what blessings do you need to see in your life that say, I need to move on? God has made me fruitful. Not only has he allowed me to forget, but now he's going to use me in the present so that I could fulfill his purpose in the future. I was, I was thinking last night, uh, David, uh, Chris Tomlin's song, uh, Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, you know? I was thinking about that. And, and as, as he says, you know, my chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, has manassed me. He's made me forget. Isn't that good? And like a flood, Ephraim, his fruitfulness reigns. Amazing love, amazing grace. Where are you today? Do the chains of Manasseh, uh, the chains of, of hurtful past need to be broken by the blessing of a Manasseh in your life? And does an Ephraim need to be risen up so that you can not only say, Lord, I'm going to forget that which was behind me. I'm going to recognize the fruitfulness of the present and I'm going to pour on the future fulfilling of your calling for my life. God, I'm moving on. There are so many believers who can't move forward because of the chains of yesterday. What you did, what someone did to you, and you've not let go of it. And because you haven't let go of it, you can't move forward with God. You're chained. So today is Manasseh Day. Let it go. Take off the chains. Today's Ephraim Day. Lord, you have a ministry to be fruitful right here, right now so that I can fulfill a future calling, and we're going to find Joseph has that in the coming weeks. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior, he's manassed me. he's, he's, He's taken away the stinger and the badness and the ugliness and the hurt. Like a flood, 
Ephraim, now the fruitfulness of God is going to rain. Rain down on my life. That's his amazing love and his amazing grace. And what we're going to find as we finish out this chapter in Joseph's life, he goes to work. And he begins to work and to lead. And they begin to store up and pile up food. And he's watching his little boys beginning to run. And he's watching the, the joy of, of parenting uh, begin to work in his life. And he goes to work and he sees, wow, look at all this grain. Look at all these people. Look at people bow to me. And God's preparing him for a ministry that will affect us today. What do you need to let go of? What do you need to experience the grace to step on with so that God can use you to impact people in your life? Trust God to move in his time. Trust God to move you where he desires. But listen, trust God to move you from your past. And today might be a day you just need to let go of something and move on with God.